fantastic. If you've got your Bibles this morning, would you open them please with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6 this morning. We, uh, we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke and specifically through the 6th chapter here in Luke's Gospel. Over the past several weeks that we have been in the Gospel of Luke, we have been looking at Jesus' sermon. Corollary to this found in Matthew's Gospel, we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, Luke has an abbreviated version of this, quite possibly, uh, delivered at a different time even than the Sermon on the Mount, but, um, but it would be material that would need to be repeated, and it emphasizes to us the importance of the material that is given in Luke's Gospel here and in Matthew's Gospel as well. Jesus repeats this material on different occasions because it's important for his people to understand it. It's important for, for us to get hold of what it is that Jesus is saying within this material. Now I might want to remind you of the congregation to whom Jesus is preaching this morning in Luke's Gospel. We discovered this a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 6 verse 17 where we read there that Jesus came down with them, that is with his apostles that he had just recently chosen. He comes down with the twelve apostles and he stands on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. So we have the apostles who are there. We have a great crowd of his disciples, his followers, those who have in some way acknowledged belief and faith in him. And then also a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And so we have these varying groups of people. We have the apostles whom Jesus has just called into this close relationship with Him to follow Him whom He will teach and then He sends out to continue the message of spreading the gospel. We have His disciples, the, the followers, not the twelve, but the continuing growing group of people who are following Jesus. And then we had this great multitude of people. Most of them probably had come with the expectation that they might be healed of diseases, that they might be healed of afflictions in some way. And here they all together are within this crowd. Gives us pause to ask again, why are you here? Why are you here to hear the Word of God proclaimed this day? The crowd gathered here for Jesus is not dissimilar, I think, to the crowd that's gathered here today as well. There are those who are interested, those who are eager to hear God's Word, those who are intrigued by it all, perhaps, those who come with an expectant heart, maybe even those who are a little bit confused about what all of this means to be a follower of Jesus, and those who are faithful to the words and teachings of Jesus. It's, it's a cross-section of humanity. We've got all sorts of people here, just like Jesus had all sorts of people there as He proclaimed this sermon to them and as He brings it to a close in the verses we look at this morning. So far in this sermon that began in Luke chapter 6 verse 20 and continues all the way to the end of Luke chapter 6, we have discovered in reality the characteristics of a Christian disciple. What does it mean to say you follow Christ? What does it say? 
What does it mean when you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, I am a follower of Jesus? What should be the reality in your life based upon that statement that you would make? We, we looked in verse 20 through verse 26 and we discovered that for a disciple, there is a reversal of values in a disciple's life. Everything that the world esteems a disciple of Christ holds very loosely, if at all. And everything that the world says is pitiable, uh, those are the things that a disciple of Christ uh, embraces. Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. A spiritual poverty that leads you to recognize your need for God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, weeping over your own sinfulness and the rebellion against God that brings tragedy to your life, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. There's a reversal of values. The world doesn't look at this and say, this is what we want to embrace. The world looks at this and says, you're a fool if you embrace that. To be spiritually poor, we don't, we don't acknowledge that. We have everything that we need. We're great. We're wonderful. We're good. Hunger and thirst for righteousness? No, I hunger and thirst for the next dollar that I make. I hunger and thirst for the things that this world can offer me. Hunger and thirst for righteousness? Blessed are you who weep. Now I have no need of weeping. I've done nothing wrong. There's no guilt in my life. And then Jesus pronounces the woes in verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Everything that the world esteems, the disciple of Christ says there is more than just that. And so there's a reversal of values in the life of a disciple. There's an exceptional love in the life of a disciple as well. In verse 27, Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Seriously? Love your enemies? Yes, there's an exceptional love that is encountered in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ because we have experienced love, having at one point been an enemy of God's, we are able to extend love to our enemies as well. And then we come now into the next section here, uh, verse uh, 39 through, or verse 37 down through 49, we discover that the life of a true disciple is marked by obedience to God. The entirety of the sermon that Jesus gives here is an invitation to introspection. We don't do that in our society today. We don't do that in our culture today. We don't look within. We simply look without at what other people are doing around us. And we don't pause to look within our own hearts, to look within our own lives. And this morning I want to challenge you to do that. Look inside yourself. Concentrate on you. As we conclude looking at Jesus' sermon today, don't be preoccupied primarily and initially with the spiritual condition of others. Examine yourself in light of the standards that Jesus proclaims. Look, look at yourself rather than looking to others. 
In other words, don't come to the end of this sermon and say, boy, that was good. I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that. Or even better yet, to stop and say, that was good. I hope so-and-so sitting over there or over there was listening because they really needed that. No, look within your own life today. Let's examine ourselves in light of the standards that Jesus proclaims. Much like Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. You do, not re- do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you failed to meet the test. Examine yourselves. Jesus uses some picture illustrations here when he speaks of obedience. Let's, let's begin reading in verse 43, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then come back to look at what Jesus says. Verse 43, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a good tree bear, uh, excuse me, a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person... Out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil produces out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus brings a couple of pictures to us. Speaking of the obedience that he requires of his people, the the first picture is a picture of fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, it's it's really so simple a child could understand it, and yet it is so profound that it eludes the minds of so many of us. Jesus is basically saying here that the identity of a tree is determined by what it produces. The identity of a tree is determined by its fruit, by what it produces. Likewise, Jesus comes and applies this to our lives, and he says the actions of a person show what that person is at heart. That's why Matthew, in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, in recounting what Jesus taught here as well, says that by their fruits you shall know them. Now, one of the things I want you to do here immediately is I want you to go back and compare this to Jesus' words earlier about not judging. He says to us in verse 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. America's favorite verse of the Bible. Judge not, and you will not be judged. And yet, when you compare those words to what is taking place here, you discover that there is a very real judgment that is taking place here, isn't there? It's a very real judgment. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. You see, the difference between this is, in what Jesus is saying, it is not a harsh, condemning, judgmental, critical spirit that we often use in coming against other people. Not in love, not in redemption, 
not in restoration. We come with a harsh, judgmental, critical attitude against other people. And Jesus says there's no place for that. Why? Because we're all sinners in need of restoration by Jesus. But there's a very real judgment that's taking place here. No good tree bears bad fruit. By their fruits you shall know them. You see, the fruit is displayed in the character and the content of the disciple's life. We will produce in our lives what we are in our hearts. That's what Jesus is saying. We will produce in our lives what we are in our hearts. That's why Jesus continues in verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Stop just a moment. Remember, this is a pause for introspection. Don't be thinking about someone else. Oh, I hope they're listening to this. Look within your own heart, within your own life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is in some way equating the fruit of our lives with what we say. What do we speak about? What do you talk about? Essentially, fruitfulness in our lives is equivalent to Christ-likeness. We become like Christ, and that is the fruit that is to be produced within our lives as a follower of Christ. Fruit is the product of our being rooted in Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus says, be merciful, verse 36, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, condemn not. Why? Why is it we're able to love our enemies? Because we have been loved by one against whom we were enemies. And so when we are right with Jesus, when we are a disciple of Jesus, there will be fruit produced within our lives indicative of that. Likewise, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, there will be fruit within your life that is indicative of that as well. That's why we read a moment ago from John chapter 15. Again, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. I'm the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already, he says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's the fruit. What does it indicate in your life? What does it give evidence of? Granted, it takes time for fruit to grow. We don't always see this overnight. In fact, rarely do we see it overnight. Our sanctification in Christ is a lifelong process. Not, not long ago, I got a little bonsai tree. Fascinated with those trees. I got one that it, it's called, I think, a, well, the, the, the name of it is a jabatakala. 
It's a Brazilian grape tree, and it produces little grapes on the, on the stem, on the trunk of the tree. Now, when I got the tree, of course, it gave specific instructions on how to care for it, instructions that apparently I'm not capable of following. <laughs> but nonetheless, one of the things that it said within the instructions is, it will in all likelihood be that your tree produces fruit, but give it time. It will take probably as much as three years before it produces fruit. You see, within our lives, it may take time to produce fruit, but we will see fruit being produced within our lives. Not all of it together, necessarily. You see, this is why we say, I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be either. There's growth. There is discipleship within this. And then Jesus moves from talking about figs and trees and fruit to talking about foundations. He places each and every one of us at a crossroads this morning. By virtue of your being here today, Jesus places you at a crossroads. In fact, it's prophesied that he would do this very thing. If you go back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, you remember when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, that Simeon is there, and he makes this statement about them. He blesses them, and he said this to Mary, the mother of Jesus, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You're placed at a crossroads by Jesus this morning. It will lead to your fall, or it will lead to your rising. And he gives a question. And then he follows that question with an illustration, and then he concludes it all with an application of it. Look at the question in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? There's such a warning that's contained in that question. An investigation is called upon in our lives. An examination is demanded by this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Jesus is a master of these open-ended questions. You can't have just a simple yes or no answer. Explain yourself, Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Jesus, as it were, places us through a biblical CAT scan this morning. And the contrast for him is between our lips and our lives. The contrast is between our saying and our doing. Now, obviously, Scripture marks as important a verbal profession of faith in, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus doesn't set aside in any way here the importance of being able to make a verbal profession of faith and trust in Jesus, to declare that with your lips. However, Jesus does stress for us that it is, it is possible to make a verbal statement which is not true. It is not real. John Stott said of these very verses, What better Christian profession could be given than this? Here are people who call Jesus Lord with courtesy, orthodoxy, enthusiasm, 
and private devotion and public ministry. What could be wrong with this? In itself, nothing. And yet everything is wrong. It is talk without truth. Profession without reality. It will not save on the day of judgment. The real test of those who name the name of the Lord is if they live in obedience to Him. The question is clear. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus is not calling for some sort of just an external moralism here. He is calling for a power that rises within us, having been grafted in to the vine and that life flowing within us. Faults? Absolutely. Missteps? Yes. But we are made different by the work of Christ. The question is clear. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then Jesus gives the illustration. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. Here, here Jesus changes the contrast. In the question, the contrast was between saying and doing. In the illustration, the contrast is between hearing and doing. We're a society that doesn't hear much anymore, are we? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on around us. The TV is always on. The radio is always on. We're always hearing voices shouting back and forth and opposing views from one to the other, but we really don't hear much anymore. I think probably one of the most thankless jobs and one of the most neglected jobs in all of America is an airline stewardess in giving the safety speech before the plane takes off. Been on a plane, you know what it's like. Ladies and gentlemen, if you will direct your attention to the front of the airline now. Headphones on. Totally tuned out. I read about one steward that when this was going on, just to show that no one was listening, made this statement. He said, when the mask drops down, place it over your navel and continue to breathe normally. And no one noticed. Hearing requires discipline. Can, would you allow me for just a moment to step as an aside? We'll come back to the sermon in just a moment, but let's step out for just a moment because it impacts us every Sunday morning when we're gathered together. Hearing requires discipline. How do you hear well when the Word of God is proclaimed? Can I just give you some real quick pointers to help you hear well? When you come on a Sunday morning or, or, or you come on a Wednesday night, whenever it is, Begin with prayer. Please, if I'm preaching, please come in praying for me. I need that. You don't realize how much, well, you've heard me preach. Maybe you do know how much I need that. I don't know. Pray. Pray for the preacher. Pray for yourself that it would be spoken clearly and heard clearly. Come prepared to listen. Concentrate. Turn your mind to what is being said. Open your Bible. It, it sounds so simple, but it is yet still so fundamental. Open the Word of God and read along as the passages are being read. Jot down a note or two here or there. It might help you. It might be just that, that God is saying, here's what I'm wanting to do in your life right now. Just some things to help you hear. 
Okay, that's the aside. Let's step back into the sermon now. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Like a man building a house. Dug deep, laid the foundations on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We've got several builders here among us, and I'm speaking out of my league most definitely. But Jesus is talking to us today, and he says, even, even for the builders, you look at the house being constructed, and there's no apparent difference within them. The walls are beginning to rise, the frame is taking shape, and there's really no difference that you can tell between the two. What is it that gives testimony to the, 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 the differences in the structure? Well, it's when the rains come, when the winds blow. One that has the foundation could not be shaken, dug down deep into the rock, and one without the foundation just collapsed like a house of cards. Everyone can understand this. You, you, you don't get out the Lego set and build on the rickety old card table. You build on a sturdy surface. There's no difference between the houses until the storm comes. You see, for Jesus, in what he proclaims to us here, the issue is not whether we hear. The issue is not whether we affirm. The issue is whether we do it. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, verse 47, and does them. Catch that. I'll show you what he's like. See, again, I need to reiterate this to you. If you're sitting there, I'm standing here, and, and we are thinking of someone that this sermon is great for, we've missed the point. It's for us. It's for me. This is great for you. Jesus comes along and he says, Okay, followers, i got a question for you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Let me show you what you're like. You're going to fall down when the flood comes, when the torrent strikes, when all hell breaks loose in our lives, and, it's, and it will. That's when we find out what we're trusting. See, the ground for our assurance is the fact of God's unmerited grace to us in Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. Jesus brings it to a point of application for us. He's not in any way teaching that entry into heaven is by good works of obedience. That's not what Jesus is teaching. To, to take that from this passage is to make a mockery and nonsense out of the entirety of the Word of God. What's the emphasis here? The emphasis is that a foundational faith produces fruit in our lives. In other words, if there has been no outer change in our lives, the reality is quite good that there's been no inner change either. Today we look 
at the sermon of Jesus before us. And he asks the very same question to you. He asks the very same question to me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? What is your answer to him? What do you tell him? See, if we can read these verses and it not give us pause, and it not send a shockwave through us, I fear we're in more danger than we realize. Jesus is saying when we are connected to him, fruit will be produced indicative of that. And when we build our foundation on the life of who Christ is, we will stand sure. We will stand steady because we stand in Him and on Him. What would be your answer to Jesus? Father, this morning, we look into Your Word And just as you have promised, there is, there is a dividing power to your word. You divide us down to the very core of who we are, and you lay us open. Father, I pray today, as much as you see us, would you show us ourselves? Father, please protect us from getting this backwards. Please protect us from thinking that if we will go out and produce good fruit, then we will be Jesus's. Father, please protect us from that wrong, faulty, unbiblical thought. And bring us to the truth that we must begin by being connected to Jesus the vine. That His life may flow through us, producing the fruit of Christ's likeness and standing power when the world comes against us. I pray for Your people here today, Father, that we would take serious the call of Your Word and I pray today, Father, for those who do not know You, that they would realize they stand at a crossroads and heaven and hell stretches before them. Father, open their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus who died for them, who was raised to life, that they might be forgiven, that they might know life with You. Father, I pray for those Maybe many here today who have made some sort of a verbal acquiescence that I believe in Jesus. But the reality of that 
tells a very different story. I pray you would bring them to salvation this day, Father. That you would be honored and glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We stand together, we sing together, and if there's a response you would like to make and you'd like to share, we would love for you to come. Welcome you to just to come meet me here. Say, Pastor, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what's going on. Would love to begin a conversation with you. Maybe about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a member of this church family. We would love to start that conversation with you today. If you need to come, you come this morning.